Welcome back, everyone. This is Discussing Who. I am Kyle Jones, and I want to start off by saying we're glad that you're here. As we are recording this episode, it is March the 31st, 2020. And as we said in our last episode, we are recording in the midst of a global pandemic. And I want to lead this episode by saying that we want to share some positivity with you. We want to have a good time and review some classic Doctor Who. But wherever you are, make sure you wash your hands, do the social distancing or whatever, wherever you may live, whatever your local authorities are calling for, please do that because we want you to stay safe. We want to continue being here. So thanks for listening. We're glad that you're here. And I want to also welcome Clarence Brown. Mr. Brown, how are you? Doing pretty good, man. Doing pretty good as always. And, you know, happy to be here talking with you guys. Yeah. Well, glad always to have you and equally glad to always have on here, Mr. Lee Shackelford. Lee, how are you? I'm well. I'm well. Like I said last time, since I have always, since I've worked from home for years, so not a whole lot has changed for me, but I, I am um, finding that I'm kind of starving for personal connections. So uh, I always look forward to Tuesday night when I get to talk with the two of you. But yeah, it's, it's like the stakes have increased. It's like, Indeed. is it 8.30 yet? Is it time to talk to Kyle and Clarence yet? Come on. Yeah. Indeed. So. so any interesting work from home or social distancing stories that either of you have? I actually have one, kind of curious. But do you either of you have anything that you've experienced over the last week? Work from home stories. Um, well, I, I have been tempted to share widely a video from a, a, a church service that I sort of um, was uh, overseeing via Zoom on Sunday. Uh, I don't know if you've ever gotten a group of about uh, 30 people together via Zoom, which many people believe is instantaneous communication. It's not. There's a lag, right? Okay. Imagine them. Imagine all those people trying to sing a song together. interesting the the resulting chaos is uh a little wibbly wobbly singy wingy yeah singy wingy yes so uh yeah in our case the result was so hilarious that i i I really am tempted to share that video but i don't know i'd I'd need permission of all those people (laughs) 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 that's the closest to a uh work from home story that i have how how about y'all uh, nothing really jumps out at me. But uh, speaking of Lee's uh, disjointed singing attempt for his church, uh, there's actually a cool project. I heard of it. This on a podcast. I think it's called like World Choir. Mm-hmm. But but uh, in this case, everybody's pretty much just recording offline to the same song. Yes. And then they all paste it together. And it, yes. it sounds pretty fantastic. So I'll try to get the link for that and drop it in the show notes. But it's pretty cool. Yeah, I, I'm aware of at least one that I can share and 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 drop into that. Um, yeah, they if you record them separately with each person listening, you know, to a, a track or to an, an accompanist, yeah, the result can be glorious. Yeah, but you can't do it live. <laughs> well, something that I found on YouTube similarly that was indeed done live. I believe this was. I want to say either in France or Italy. But it was one gentleman on his balcony with his keyboard and about three or four um, units 
to his right or left was another gentleman, and I think he had a saxophone. And one, you know, they were in tandem playing the Celine Dion song, My Heart Will Go On from Titanic. And, you know, and you had all these people on the balcony, and that was like, it was really, really pretty, but it was more seeing the people interact with them, and it was just like cool human spirit thing going on there. Gotta love it. Gotta love it. Gotta love it. People are... Being creative in all kinds of interesting ways this week. There's, it's been a, for all the terrible things that are going on, it has been an upsurge of creativity and artistic expression. So last week, Lee, you said in our broadcast, you said to anyone who was listening to reach out to us if they were watching Doctor Who or, to, you know, how they were connecting with Doctor Who. Yeah, 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 yeah. And we got, feedback via email that I would like to share with you and with all of our listeners. This email begins by saying, Hello, Kyle, Clarence, and Lee. I am a huge fan of Doctor Who and of your podcast. I genuinely look forward to each new episode and enjoy listening to your opinions and ideas. I only discovered Doctor Who and your podcast about a year ago, but they have made a significant impact on my everyday life. They keep me busy and provide a sort of emotional support. My go-to episodes whenever I am looking for something to watch are The Empty Child slash The Doctor Dances, Blink, Silence in the Library slash Forest of the Dead. By the way, awesome taste. I'll just say that. Here, here. Vincent and the Doctor. Oh, yeah. And Heaven Sent. End by saying I am 12 years old. And my parents like your podcast, too. I have been watching Doctor Who and been trying to keep myself busy in the past two weeks, and this helps to cope. I hope you are all doing well and stay safe. So the person's name is Meepy. So, Meepy, thank you. This made our week. Am I right, gentlemen? Absolutely. Yes. Yes. I rise to salute Meepy. You can't see it, but I'm I'm doing it. (laughs) Awesome. Yeah. Well, all I will say is that was fantastic to read. When Clarence said, you've got some mail you want to read, the first thing I did was go look at it. And I was like, wow, this is wow. so awesome. <laughs> and what a great list of favorites, too, of, of, uh, of Meepy's uh, uh, reach out for a, an episode uh, list. That's uh, what a bunch of winners. Yes. Silence in uh, the Library, Forest of the yeah, Dead. Absolutely. Yeah. Great stuff, man. You know, I will say one other thing on this before we move on. We mentioned in our last episode that there were some live tweeting of Rose and Day of the Doctor. Similarly, this week on the anniversary of Vincent Van Gogh's birthday, they did a live tweet of Vincent and the Doctor. The person who wrote it. Karen Gillan and Matt Smith participated. Wow. I wish I'd known about that. Well, yeah, I found out like the day that it happened after it happened. But there's one coming up as we record this, and I think it is 11th hour. Yes, indeed. Okay. Indeed, indeed. Yeah. So maybe we won't wait to, until the quote unquote 11th hour this time <laughs> to realize. But maybe that would have been the 13th hour since it was already over. So, yes. All right, so guys, do you have anything else in the news before we move on? Well, I I really appreciated that um, 
you're right. A very touching note from from Mibi, and uh, I shout out to Mibi's folks too. There, but I want to reiterate that we are. This is like serious data collection. The three of us have been invited to collaborate on a chapter of a book, and. It's about characters and why characters are important. And I really, really, really want to hear from more of our listeners about why the doctor is important to them. And, and I think that word is, well, it's important. <laughs> the word is well chosen, is important. Um, what has the character meant to you over the years? What does the character mean to you? Uh, right now, and I think we've got a special challenge in our chapter because the book is going to be about all different kinds of fictional characters. But our character has been played by a lot of different people with different writing teams and different points of view. But there's got to be some kind of a through line, something kind of connective tissue about, you know, that makes the doctor always the doctor. So I'm hoping that that is somehow important to people. So anyway, that's the question. And and people can send that to discussing who at gmail.com or call us on the phone, I believe. That is indeed true. And they can do that at 850-805-3946. That makes us feel so legit, man. That's so <laughs> incredible. Indeed. But, and so, you know what? I'm going to challenge the three of us as we review what we are about to review. And since mm. you said the character of the doctor and the, what makes the character important to us and what's that connectivity as it changes. Last episode, we were in the first doctor's era. Tonight, we will be in the sixth doctor's era. Two vastly different doctors. I challenge us to find something that is connective between both of those versions of the character. I believe we can do it. I was thinking about this very thing, so that's that's cool. All right. So, gentlemen, are you ready for the spoiler warning? Always ready for the spoiler warning. <laughs> cool. As am I, believe it or not. So let me say, if you have not seen The Mark of the Ronnie, it is from 1985. So if you've not seen it, go out, put us on pause. Watch the episode. Come back because from this moment forward, spoilers. 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 Alrighty, the spoiler warning has gone out and we are back to review The Mark of the Ronnie. This was the third story of season 22 of Doctor Who. It originally aired on the 2nd and the 9th of February 1985. This story introduced a new Time Lord adversary for the Doctor known as the Ronnie. So, summary view. Clarence Brown, what say you? What was your, what was your summary view of this story? Hmm, I quite enjoyed it. I quite enjoyed it. I love the location they were at. I like them being out and about and around that location. So I, I found that to be fun. And actually, I really quite enjoyed uh, Colin Baker in this episode. To me, he was great. As well as seeing Perry. I think this is the first proper episode that I've seen with her in it. And I really like her. It's funny. I like all these old companions. They they kind of just stick to me. And I, I actually want to see more of her and, and Colin Baker's doctor. Um because I, I I enjoyed this episode. I thought it was fun and interesting. 
Yeah, I have to admit that when you had suggested this, that I did some eye rolling because I've never been a a big fan of the Ronnie, but I had forgotten of all these other things that are interesting in the episodes, and it's pretty much Clarence's list too. It's uh, and and of course uh, George Stevenson, and that's just kind of fun. But yeah, it is. It's it's a great episode for the Sixth Doctor and and Perry. Hmm. So how about you? I'm going to wonder if. Watching these episodes and the mindset of reviewing these episodes mm. changes our perception of what we're looking for, maybe, or changing uh. our what, you know, our want, our desire of what we're trying to get out of it. Because, mm-hmm. Lee, I was similar to you. I remember liking the character of the Ronnie, but I remember kind of rolling my eyes as I don't like this era as a whole of Doctor Who, mm-hmm. per se. I, in turn, though, really enjoyed the episode. Of course, it was 1985, but mm-hmm. <laughs> it it was enjoyable. I did not get bored at, at any point. So that's no, good. no. And it's worth pointing out. And I hope that people who are listening to this have you know recently rewatched it. But the BBC, the the, the showrunners were experimenting with something new here. They're wondering if the if if one of the ways that the show was getting into a rut was the um, 30 minutes a week serial that would go on sometimes for six or even eight or even 10 episodes. And how about instead stories that were two parters, but each part was 45 minutes long. Yeah. So it's a little more like, you know, conventional hour long drama that we're accustomed to in the States. Yeah, that was What did you think about that, Clarence? Because I know you hadn't seen any of of that era of Doctor Who before. Yeah, I will admit the longer two-part, longer episodes made it feel much more modern than any of the other classic things we've we've reviewed recently. So, yeah, I I love that. It felt like it, it felt very modern in the pacing and you don't have to do the multiple cliffhangers. And um, so in that that aspect, I really loved it. And yeah, I I love the format. It felt modern to me. So let me reverse that question and pose it to the two of you. If modern day Doctor Who series 12 had of instead of being 10 episodes no <laughs> you know where i'm going and that's what i thought but would you have wanted to see a half hour 20 minute episode i mean 10 a 20 right. half hour episodes hmm. i i think it would feel just too long and drawn out to me it, even though it probably could basically be the same story in a sense it would just feel like it's just stretched out for some reason uh, and that makes me think of recent digital series that we watched that, you know, oh, there maybe went like two episodes too long. You know, there's been a lot of them where we said that. So, yeah, it would it would just feel long and drawn out. And I guess when it's contiguous, when it's all together, it could, it feels more like one complete thing. And then we get the second part later, you know, so I, I lo- love the longer Longer episodes, two-parters better than the the eight, you know, shorter series. So, Lee, I have a question for you because as we were discussing what we wanted to review for this particular Discussing Who episode, you made a statement that has been stuck in my mind even as I was watching. Or you you didn't necessarily make a statement. You typed – I guess it was a statement. (laughs) But regardless, you made a point. However, it was perceived that's been stuck in my head. And that point was you made a reference to 
not particularly enjoying JNT. And for Doctor Who fans, we oh, all yeah. know that means John Nathan Turner, the final producer, executive showrunner of Doctor Who in the classic era. Curious, why was it or what about his era did you not enjoy? Well, it, I, I guess a lot of ink has flown out of a lot of pens of writing about uh, John Nathan Turner and uh, for, by by fans over the last 30 years but and you can't lay all of the, the the show's problems at his feet because the BBC kept trying to see how little money the show could squeak by with uh, until you get to the last broadcast episode of of you know classic who that really looks like a, a student film to me it, it just it, it is filmed with no resources whatever. <laughs> and so you just feel like the network was choking the show to death. I just think that, that some of the, the stories that uh, J&T greenlit and, uh, and worked on and some of his casting choices were, looking back on them, regrettable. Hmm. And, and he, he was one of the big movers behind the idea of uh, the Ronnie, which I think the idea was to uh, add another kind of um, a sex appeal aspect to the show. And I don't – I get the picture here, but um, – I don't find the Ronnie particularly appealing. Uh. <laughs> but she was, at the time, very popular in the United States because that was at the highlight of the era of the nighttime soap operas, particularly Dallas and Dynasty. And Kate O'Mara was cast as a character on Dynasty that was coming out about the same time as Mark of the Ronnie was coming out. Mm. Yeah. Really? That's interesting. Yeah. And then later she would be on uh, Absolutely Fabulous playing <laughs> largely the same character. Yes. <laughs> mm. a, a comic version of the same character. Yeah. So I'm not talking about the actress. I mean, Kate Morris is fabulous. And in fact, I was really appreciating sometimes when it's just her and Anthony Ainley on screen and they have this kind of um, melodramatic dialogue. They're both completely invested in those characters they're saying that because it makes sense to them that they would talk that way yes and and i i just i completely bought into the two of them and i just and you know i, I kind of had my mouth open i was thinking so it's it's not about her it's the ronnie it's it's she, she's she's the master in leather pants and i don't that's not something I ever wanted to see. <laughs> I just uh, anyway, it's not it's not a big point. I, I still I, I enjoyed her more than I remembered, because I think you're right. There is a sort of an observer phenomenon. If, if you're watching these actively and critically and no longer going to talk about them, it does change the way you experience it. I enjoyed the Ronnie a lot more than I remembered doing before. And that was so that was kind of cool. Hmm. I did some looking into JNT before I asked that question. And here are some points that I wrote down about his time from 1980 through the end of the series in 89 that kind of stood out. And I, I'm just curious if you guys pick up on anything here. He didn't use previous composers. He brought in new arrangements, new composers whenever he started. He replaced the introduction, the opening sequence, with a new logo, a new style. He chose not to use the previous writing and editing staff, didn't want to use anybody that had been used before. And he chose to focus more on promotion and what some people consider gimmicks, 
while leaving the stories more so in the writer's hands and let them have their own say as how the story went. Does any of that sound familiar? <laughs> oh, awesome, awesome how you selectively chose those. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Yeah. No court of law would, would allow you to, to yeah. pass for that. So I yeah, just I, I, found if you have an extra grind with Chibnall, I, I, I get it. But, um, but and, and you're not making that stuff up either. I mean, it, you may be cherry picking the things that are similar, but, but they're still true. The thing about J and T trying to figure out ways to raise money for the show through merchandise and branding is uh, is one of the things where I feel like I understand what he was trying to do. And and in those days, there wasn't here in the States, there wasn't a lot of Doctor Who merchandise. You know, the idea of, of going to uh, the bookstore and buying stuff like we do today that's, you know, related to Doctor Who, was, that was unthinkable. You had to uh, order the things through the mail. You know, you had to you had to have a connection. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, he was trying to change that. And so he was the one who had the BBC, had in the name of the BBC, copyright the color pattern of Tom Baker's scarf so that that, that sequence of colors would actually belong to the BBC so that they could sell the pattern. Mm, interesting. And, and things like that. And why suddenly from Tom Baker's time forward, he's got question marks on his collar so that you couldn't just pop on any shirt and cosplay as a doctor. You had to probably buy from them one with the question marks on it. And so then by Sylvester McCoy's time, his jumper's got question marks all over it. And there's only <laughs> going to be only one place you can get one of those. And so on and on it goes. I can't think about John Nathan Turner without thinking about uh, when, when I saw uh, uh, Janet Fielding at um, Gallifrey. She was talking about the fact that in, in every episode – that may be an exaggeration, but she said in every episode, Tegan's got a different hairstyle. And she said that's because J&T had this idea that one of these hairstyles would really catch on and hairstylists would be interested in doing it. And people would come into the salon saying, I want you to give me the Tegan. Mm, and that would be something that they could literally sell the instructions, the style book to hairstylists. Once they had hit on it. And she said she thought each of them was more horrible than the last. She said, I, I found the only gay man in Britain who doesn't know anything about styling hair. So that that quip of hers about J&T is, I'm afraid, what sticks in my mind is <laughs> the only gay man in Britain who doesn't know anything about styling hair. But but yeah, reaching for something like he wanted to market the Tegan hairstyle, you're like, wow. But you know yeah. what what you're saying is telling me is I'm thinking he was a man out of his time. And what I mean by that is he would have in today's media environment, if he were alive and in, in, in a show, of course, he would not, I don't think, be a an executive producer of a show, well, but I would think he would be brilliant at doing the marketing that shows require today because it sounds like he had that mindset before the industry was ready for it. What, what, that's right. I'm making fun of it, but I think you're exactly right. And it's sort of why people debate about whether or not he was a disaster to the show or if he was what kept the show on as long as it you know, why it lived as long as it did uh, in the classic era, because he was thinking of those things that nobody else thought of. And yeah, and you're right. Now, today, you have to think like that. What what, what years were, was he producer or running, running things for Doctor Who? What Do we know the time frame? 80 through 89. Okay. So I'm going to say it's also a product of the timing 
because uh, if you think of, of what was popular around that time, certainly the, the what Star Wars did as far as merchandising mm. around that time, too. So maybe that was an influence uh, as well as other factors. You Very know, good you talk about. Oh, fame. yeah, that's a great point. Yeah, it had to be because, you know, famous is the story in Hollywood that George Lucas had, you know, was negotiating with Fox about how to get that film financed yeah. and one of the deals was that he he gave up his director fee but he wanted to own rights to the merchandise to the toys specifically. <laughs> yeah. and the studio executives laughed at him <laughs> yeah and so by yeah so by 1980 people are laughing out the other side of their face so are they yeah. so yeah so i'm actually you know since i did make that comparison to chibnall mm. I'm going to actually take up for Mr. Chibnall in it for a moment because, or actually not take up for him. I'm going to give him a little props here because as I was watching this episode, seeing the master and the Ronnie kind of team up with the, you know, against the doctor, I actually started thinking about the, when they're talking amongst themselves about the doctor, I'm sitting there thinking, oh, well, if they only knew. And then I was like, wow, I'm already starting to indoctrinate myself in this new reality that Chibnall created. So it's sticking to me. So, I'm, yeah. you know, it's a little yeah. bit of positivity there. <laughs> So, Clarence, I have a question for you. You said that you enjoyed Perry and her interaction with the doctor. So tell me, how would you describe Perry as a companion in comparison to other companions and her relationship with the doctor? So first of all, I'll say if I had probably seen this episode before we saw Nicola Bryant in, in it was a Hulana. Yes. Yeah. Back, yes. Yeah. I, I probably would have been much more smitten. <laughs> yeah. though, though I did enjoy her, but I just didn't know about, well, I guess I never just watched this and, and went back and researched it. But I very much enjoyed her in this episode. It's kind of weird seeing her play an American girl. Uh-huh. Uh, but I felt that was so refreshing in Doctor Who. I mean, I don't know if there's any new Who character other than Jack, I guess. That has American accent, but that really felt refreshing to me, and I don't not sure why. <laughs> yeah. So I really ate that up. So as as far as the difference in her or what made me so smitten by her, I guess I just found her refreshing, man, and you know, easy on eyes. <laughs> yeah. I I just I don't know. I really like her, and I want to see more of her. So yeah. So well, we need to go back to the episode that introduces her, and you will see more of her. Yeah, I've heard. Yeah. I've heard about that. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, just talking about the fact that that we saw her and Colin Baker together, and they obviously just adore each other and are, are still just getting along famously all, all this time later. But yeah, thirty five years later, she looks the same. Yeah. I want to know what potion she's <laughs> drinking. Anyway, yeah. <laughs> but you know, good on her. But so, how would you guys? characterize the relationship between the doctor and Perry. Well, this is why I thought it interesting as a coincidence that we had just watched a first doctor episode, because I had forgotten that this is a, a thing about the sixth doctor is that he, he, he can bully her. He berates her. He talks to her like she's an idiot. And then when she's in peril, he will do anything to protect her and to rescue her and then turn right around and talk about how valuable she is and praise her when she has a good idea. And 
it's just his high handedness. It's just his, you know, I don't, you know, one man's law is another man's crime. Right. <laughs> that makes me think this is the closest to the first doctor we ever got again in a classic series is the sixth doctor and the way he relates to his companion. So uh, that was my thought. A few things. I agree with everything Lee said, but I also was wondering, did they semi like it? I'm not going to say that he liked her, but it seemed like she was bitten by him uh, to a certain degree. And I also loved how he, especially once you get to the end of a uh, two-parter, how he trusts her to to take the master and the runny off by herself, which I was like, whoa, mm -hmm. think of how huge that is. Yeah. <laughs> but, but he trusts her to do it. So, yeah, I guess he has complete faith in her, even though, you know, he may talk down to her some, but I I think he just talks down to everybody. So. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Yeah. And, and you know what? This is making me even more want to go back and see the caves of Androzani because interesting how Perry has a characteristic that not many companions do. There's only a select few, um, especially in the sense of you, you've seen the regeneration. I can think of Sarah. I can think of Rose. I can think of Clara. And I can, you know, obviously, you know, think of Perry who actually see Dr. Change from one incarnation to the other. Mm -hmm. So it would be interesting to see how her relationship was with the fifth doctor in comparison <laughs> to this doctor. I always think of her, of, of the sixth doctor's response when she says, I think I liked you better before, you know, before you were sweet. <laughs> and he says, sweet, sweet. <laughs> anyway. Well, you were. Um, <laughs> yeah, but, you know, one thing I'll mention before we we move on, a lot of reading that I did or saw our writings, you know, from different news articles, news sources during Peter Capaldi's run, they ha often said that the change that we saw in the 12th Doctor over his series that he was on from 8 mm. and through 10, how he goes from this uptight, cut, clean cut, dressed to the nine to at the end with the, the big hair and the loose clothing and the personality changes. That was what Colin Baker had wanted to do had he been allowed to stay on for a, a, a long duration. Yeah. So let's talk for a moment about the master and the Ronnie. And we kind of mentioned them a little bit, but... Let's talk about the Ronnie first. Clarence, did you, when did you realize who the Ronnie was? Meaning, did you think at, at the beginning that the old woman was the Ronnie? I kind of quickly pieced it together. So, yeah, I, I guess I pieced it together pretty quick. But as far as their the interaction between the two, it was funny because it felt like the master was semi uh, impressed by everything the Ronnie was doing. So it seems like he was just there to be wowed by her in a sense. So I thought that was interesting. I mean, he just kept doing it throughout the whole episode to, to, you know, when he went to her, her TARDIS and throughout to the very end, he was kind of impressed by what she was doing. So I found that interesting uh, as far as their relationship. Yeah. It's, it's interesting because I, th I think one of the things that I got this time that I hadn't gotten before was that when you get the Ronnie and the master and together, what you have is not one of them 
towering over the other. Both of them are accustomed to being completely in charge and for other people taking their orders. So tension is going to arise, right? Neither of them is going to take orders from the other. And they are, they're not working together. They're tolerating each other's presence. So then when the doctor gets into this, now you've got three of them who, who don't take orders from anybody. And I, I love that. I just thought that was delightful. I loved it when you get the three of them all in the same room like that. Mm. So here was a plot hole that I did not understand. And I understand at the end that the doctor did something to her TARDIS that sent them hurling back through time or, or where whatever was happening. But where was the master's TARDIS? Yeah, good question. The, they were sure that he was dead. And I, I don't know this period of the series well enough to remember what, what he's supposed to have died of the last time. They said burn to a crisp. Yeah, it was something. I'm not sure the name of the the, the name of the story had something to do with fire, I think. But I don't uh, remember the name. It was of planted it. with fire. Yeah. Ma yeah, maybe that's it. And he semi-mad at Perry because she let him die, I guess. He mentioned that in the episode. Right. Right. Hmm. You know, I found it odd. And I remember thinking this the first time I watched it, but I found it odd that you're introducing this new villain, this new adversary, but you can't do that without the return of the master as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Know, I, I just thought that that was a interesting or an interesting way. It's almost like you didn't trust the Ronnie to hold her own. Am I right? Well, that's I, I kind of wondered that too. It's it's like um, when we do a, a regeneration story, it also has to have Daleks in it, you know, <laughs> just just to make sure that it's still Doctor Who, you know, with this new actor. So yeah, I, I wondered about that. So let's talk about the story for a moment. For the most part, there really wasn't a story other than the three of them and what they were doing. The people themselves were kind of just the scenery to some degree. Would you guys agree or disagree with that? Well, it's it's another one of those stories where we're waiting to find out what the big plan is. And then when we get to the big plan, we say, wait, what? The Rani is in like, it's got to be about 1820. And she is manipulating the Luddite workers. But she also wants to somehow take advantage of George Stevenson, who is about to revolutionize rail travel in Britain and everywhere else. But so to do what exactly? See, now I thought, and Clarence, tell me what you think here. I thought it was the master that was there to do something to Stevenson. And it was the Ronnie who was there to get the brain juice or whatever. Oh, that's right. That is what she said. But why? She calls him out, and, and when as soon as, she, as soon as she knows that the master and the doctor are both there, she she says to the master, "Well, I know why you're here because of this vendetta with the doctor." Yeah, I gathered the master was there strictly for the doctor. Is kind of what I gathered. Ah, um, okay. And then, like you you mentioned, the whole brain fluid thing, which makes the men aggressive when she extracts it, mm -hmm. but she can use it to control something. Yes. I wish, I wish we would have got more like what she's actually trying to control. I would have found that kind of interesting, but they kind of just gloss over it. 
Yeah, yeah, it only it worked however she said it did because yeah, usually giving people a drug that makes them super aggressive is a really bad idea. <laughs> <laughs> but but, yeah. but wasn't she she was extracting the brain juice to give to other people that she had taken control of over on some planet and right. that was what was making the lack of sleep was making them aggressive. But at the same time, she was giving them, and, the, and according to Wikipedia, impre, impregnated parasites yes. for mind control. Right. Mm. That is that was, the mark? What that, was the actual mark of the running? That's what I want to know. That I know was, it was that the, dot. Devi- the, the device where she put on their, you know, like around their neck to extract the brain juice, as I'm calling it, was leaving the red mark on their on their necks. That's the mark of the Roddy. Exactly. <laughs> she yeah. gave him a hint. Had to have a couple of people say it out loud to make sure we got it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, you know, the only other thing I can say about the Roddy that, that I found interesting, I really liked how the inside of her TARDIS looked. It, it's yeah. great. <laughs> yeah, I agree. It's pretty freaking cool. Pretty freaking cool. And with the lights on her, uh, on the out exterior, because I think it's just like a wardrobe or something from the outside. But the the lights that glow when it's uh, actually um, moving, I think that's pretty cool as well. Yes, indeed, indeed. Yeah. And the only other thing that I have from my notes here are I thought it interesting, you know, we've often said about, especially in this series, about the save the environment message that seems to be going around. Well, interesting that even in 1985, Perry makes a statement that in her time, some species of butterfly and birds are almost extinct. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's I guess we could say that's not something new to Doctor Who. No, um, it's uh, Doctor Who has always been very uh, environmentally conscious, and it's it's one of the things I have always loved about the show. The preachy message I I got out of this, and I did get one, is when they were talking about the human race, and the Ronnie just goes on his rant. Oh, they eat animals and sheep, and you know I think it was like a, a vegan message or a vegetarian type message they were trying to give. Because he just went on for a minute talking about wheat, animals, and meat eaters. And yeah, that was kind of surprising. But that was just a short part of it. So hmm. kind of jumped out at me. I did love, because I'm uh, always interested in the railways and a, a big Anglophile, yes. I was tickled that this is uh, George Stevenson. And the when I looked at this on IMDb and Wikipedia, they both mentioned that this is that having Stevenson in this episode, even though he really doesn't have a lot to do, this is the first televised Doctor Who story to feature an historical figure as an on-screen character since the Gunfighters. And that was in hmm. 1966. Hmm. And and that kind of made me think, well, no, because there was, well, <laughs> um, hmm, no. So, in Mask hmm. of Mandragora, the doctor, the fourth doctor is, he's about to meet Leonardo da Vinci, but he doesn't. Right. <laughs> and, and so there's things like that. He keeps talking about, you know, the third doctor says, I tried to tell Napoleon Bonaparte this bony. I said, you know, so, I mean, there was always quips like that, but I he, guess it's true. Even in this episode, he makes reference to, you know, the Shakespeare and wanting to see him. Again. That's That's right. Yeah. I can see him again. Yeah. But yeah. So here's Stevenson. And I don't know if, if you know the history of this stuff well enough to get the joke, but, uh, would have been lost on, on most people, I guess. But the doctor uh, being funny, uh, he tells Stevenson that uh, he's sure his his train will take off like a rocket. Uh, 
Just anybody like a locomotive. Yeah. Yes, but uh, uh, Stevenson's train that that won the race that he set up to to officially inaugurate the Liverpool and Manchester Railway, which was the first intercity railway in the world. They had this kind of contest to see whose uh, uh, locomotive engine could uh, you know race down this track, and he, and he won, and his design became what we think of as steam engines you know that are still in service today and his train was called the rocket so the doctor has just the doctor said he doesn't interfere with history but he may have just put that word in stevenson's (laughs) mind there but no mike i said plant the seed yes plant the seed that's (laughs) it so (laughs) he can't resist but my favorite line, actually, about this is kind of a, a, an in-joke at the show, I think, is that you have to say that some of the master's plans over the years have been unnecessarily complicated, and that's kind of why they, they didn't work out in the end. And the Ronnie, at one point, she's watching the master on her monitor, and she says, what's he up to now? It'd be something devious and overcomplicated. <laughs> I just love that. <laughs> He'd get dizzy if he tried to walk in a straight line. <laughs> Boom. That's it for me and Mark of the Ronnie. Uh, a few things like, was Anthony Ainley, is this his first time playing the master or was he also the previous master? Yes. And in fact, I just looked it up. It is Planet of Fire, uh, which is Perry's first episode and the, 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 the Perry in a Bikini episode. And, uh, and it does end with the master, uh, being, um, um, uh, he, he meets his demise on a volcano, like, a, hmm. uh, yeah. And, and Perry's there and, yeah, so that's why he's got a grudge against her. But yeah, Anthony Inley came over, took over as the master way back at the end of the fourth Doctor's time. So Inley has was the master longer than anybody, and a really fine, fine actor. He's another one of those actors who I always wish you know had done a lot more things. He's in a couple of movies that I really like, and he, he played this this kind of character really well. And I know that's why they kept him for so long. <laughs> he's very good in a role. Never liked that costume, but yeah. <laughs> no, I'm kind of like you on the costume, but my my only regret I say of his master was I think they modeled him too much visually as let's recreate Roger Delgado to some degree, just make him look a little bit younger because yes. you know even you know even down to the the goatee, it was mm-hmm. like. You just and didn't let him change beyond that. He was always right. in that one black costume. Yeah, he did sometimes show up wearing a a suit, which made him look even more like Roger Delgado. Indeed. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. There you go. Do we know what device that is that the master is using? Yeah, that's the original tissue compression gun. Really? So yeah. So when he shot that guard there, uh, if you look closely, there's a little bloop. He turned him into a a toy, into a little little guy. How did I miss that? <laughs> it's, it's a little hard to see, actually. This is, you know, there were there were fewer scan lines in the cameras and TVs back then. <laughs> hmm. And and yes, it looks like a penis. <laughs> and that's really unfortunate. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, the doctor hands it to Perry, and she says, "I'm not afraid to use this." And I thought, do you even know what it is? <laughs> dun, dun, dun. Uh, but yeah, she's she's. I thought, yeah, <laughs> there, there's got to be a trick to how you operate it. I mean. So, uh, also, uh, the Ronnie can change her appearance without regeneration. Is that just a thing she can do? Or was it more like the costume aspect of it? Because she does go to the old lady back to herself, but that's more costume effects. Yeah. Like, do we, do we know what that old ordeal of her changing appearance is? I didn't get that at all. Yeah. I, 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 that's one of those remarks where I said, 
huh? Yeah, I, I was kind of hung on that. I, I just, you know, yeah, we saw her do the mask and unveil the mask sort of. Yeah, you're just another, that's another trick out of the master's playbook. And that's um, true. You yeah. know, I was like, huh? But on the flip side, you know, we do have Romana when she was about to regenerate testing bodies before uh-huh. she chose one she wanted to keep. I think it's another one of those, the many, many things you know, that are cool about Doctor Who that happened by accident, that because <laughs> we didn't quite know how to deal with the fact that uh, Mary Tam had left the show and we hadn't introduced Lola Ward as Romana yet, that we had to do this idea that she's trying on bodies. And now what has sort of happened as the show has gone on is apparently women are better at regenerating <laughs> than men, or at least that the doctors never learned how to do it properly because they don't have this period of disorientation afterwards. They can decide what they're going to look like. They, you know, yeah. all these, and that even, we played that joke even up to spoiler river song. Uh, yeah. Focusing on the dress size. Yeah. Yeah. Well, look at it like this. If the doctor himself, themselves can't, decide focus on what they want to be as regenerated then if the doctor can't do it there's no way that a time lord could do it with perfection because if the original can't do it yeah they're not the original you would think (laughs) i guess you're right one last thing we can move on the tree mines they were kind of cheesy, but I liked them, if not only for the reason when they had the Dr. Hog tied on the stick. <laughs> <laughs> and it just so happened that the two people carrying them hit the mines at the same time. So now yeah. it's tied up on the tree. Right. <laughs> I like that. I know it's cheesy, but I just I thought it that was, was fun. It was it was it was silly, but but yeah, but in a fun way. And yeah. Well, considering that this was the 80s and you know it was okay to be cheesy i would say that it might be time to say what is our final rating of the mark of the ronnie so clarence why don't you start us off <sighs> i'm going to give it a 3.5 i really i had fun with it i had fun with it yeah and uh seeing um miss brown there was was awesome as well so yeah i really enjoyed it man all right lee shackleford what say ye I'm going to give it 3.5 people turned into trees as well. <laughs> mm. I'm going to give it 3.5 miniature dinosaurs. Yeah. <laughs> that that sprawl out like a stuffed animal on the floor and start growing. Whenever the time you... is leaking, Cal. Time yes. is leaking. Time is leaking. leaking. Okay, so I'll give it a 3.51 because my uh, 3.5 grew as time was leaking. So 3.51. So, but I will say, I'm glad we did this episode. I'm glad we went back to this because I think we all wound up enjoying it more than what we anticipated we would. Indeed. Indeed. All right. So that means that I have one final question for the two of you. And that question is, where can you be found on the internet? And Clarence, I'll start again with you. Where can you be found on the internet? Uh, you can find me on any of the social medias at Wudan Ball, and that's W-U-D-A-N-B-A-L. Uh, don't ask how I got that. But my <laughs> my parting gift for you guys is going to be if you have Disney Plus to check out some of the Disney movies you may have missed over the past few years, which I quite enjoyed. <laughs> you said, why is a 40-year-old man watching these? 
but the, <laughs> the made for the whole family. That's <laughs> yeah. The the Aladdin remake uh, with Will Smith. I really enjoyed that movie. I just recently watched that, and also the Lion King, the live action Lion King. I know a lot of people don't love that one, but I had fun with it. So check those out if you have Disney Plus. Awesome. Do it. Hi, yeah. Mr. Shackelford. I have been uh, using my enforced uh, 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 sheltering in place this week to to concentrate some work on my website. And um, so I'm eager for people to go look at it and see what I've done at RelativityPodcast.com. Awesome. 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 So you know what? I will end the episode similarly to how I began it by saying for everyone listening, we are glad that you are here. Let us know how you are surviving social isolation, social distancing, being away from people. Because the more we stay connected, the, you know, the happier we all are. So let us know and send us an email, send us a phone call. And I will also point anyone who is going to wash your hands. If you want a 20 or 30 or 40 second snippet that you can listen to while you're washing your hands. As Lee said last episode, our friend and hero, Shannon Perry came (laughs) up with this awesome idea and it's called listen, rinse, repeat. So find it on your favorite podcast player. And with that, we will be back next time. You've been listening to the Discussing Network. Find out more at DiscussingNetwork.com.